And good to see everyone here this morning. How about that? Getting off on the right foot. Let's take our Bibles once again and let's turn to the book of Mark. It's kind of been our beginning point. And we've been looking at the other Gospels, uh, parallel passages to bring us a little more, what should we say, fruit or a little bit more in the sense of expanding upon our vision. Uh, but Mark chapter 11 is where we'll find ourselves today, uh, what has been known over the years as the triumphal entry. Um, we'll take a look at it in the sense of context and everything else going on in this time in Jesus's literally now his last days, the last week that he will be uh, on earth. Uh, Mark chapter 11, beginning now at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as you be entered into it, you shall find a colt tied whereon never man sat. Loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do you this? Say you that the Lord hath need of him, and straightway he will send him hither. They went their way, found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loosed him. And certain of them that stood there said unto him, What do you, loosing the colt? They said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus, cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Many spread their garments in the way, others cut down branches off the trees and strewed them on the way. They went that way before, and they followed, crying, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked around, about upon all things, and now the eventide was come. And he went out unto Bethany with the twelve. May God add a special blessing in the reading of his word, and let's just bow for prayer, prayer to our study. Father God, once again we come into this place, gathering together to learn more of you, to worship you, to praise you, Father, to get to know you more intimately. Father, these verses that we've read coming from the Word of God, we would ask that you would literally take them and put them within our very essence of being and who we are and who you want us to become, and that is just like Jesus Christ, a little bit more every minute of every day for the rest of our tenure here on earth as we come to that point of crossing over to going to eternal, eternal life with you forever. Father, what a privilege, what a concept. We think of often yearningly of being with you forever. But Father, these days are important as well. We're here for such a time as this. We look now at these last days of Jesus' physical walk on the earth. His ministry has literally come to an end, and now he is on the way to the cross. Father, we would ask that today the Word and the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher of, of addressing it and taking it to its deepest steps within our heart. Father, we'll thank you for those that have come out as well. We would ask that you would be with them, their families. You know their needs before they do. We would ask that you'd wrap your arms around them. May they feel your love that you and you alone can give at times that are difficult. But also, Father, we, ad we adore you. We love you for who you are, the Master, the Lord, the God of the universe. To you we bow. We thank you now for all of these things, looking, in, looking with anticipation as we look to the Holy Spirit to guide us. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> well, our, our study through Mark continues, and uh, I'm not 
even real sure how we started. I thought of it once, and then I can't remember it. But here we are. We're studying through the Word, and we're learning more about Jesus' walk. Um, once again, I'll maybe have, uh, Laramie, if you'd throw that map on the board. I don't think we're going to have quite as much uh, detail. It's my fault. I should have. But we're, we're kind of going to hone in on Jerusalem now. Uh, Jesus' ministry, he spent a lot of time up in Galilee. And uh, did you like that? I just turned around and just, poof, there it was. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Timing was, was amazing. Uh, at any rate, uh, the Galilean ministry took most of his time. Um, and then moving away from there, there was a time in which the people wanted just, just his miracles. They didn't want him. They wanted just what he could do for them. That period of time then moved him literally to the east side of the Jordan River, which we've been engaged in his life talking. He's been spending more time intimately with his disciples, getting them ready for this week, getting them ready for when he will be crucified, getting them ready for the fact of he's going to be gone. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Uh, they weren't very good students either, were they? <laughs> Jesus would, would launch a really, I would say, a nice little soft sense of a theological truth. What were they thinking about? Who's going to be the greatest among us? How is this all going to work out? We want to be really cool and be big time in your, in your cabinet, if you will. So Perea has been that place of where he's been taking some uh, maybe the crowds, as he, as he entered into Perea, crossing the, the east side of the Jordan, they were lessened to the point, um, but now it's already gathering steam. Something has taken place that's very well become known. It really plays into where we're at today in Mark chapter 11. There's this little town, Bethany, right here. He is, he, we find him there today. He's approaching Jerusalem, and from Bethany to Jerusalem, you see these two dots. It's probably too far away for some of you, but it's about two miles away. Uh, Bethany is a very, very significant spot. There's something that's happened there that really shines the light on how powerful Jesus Christ is. As he's, where did we find him last week? Well, not physically last week, but as you were here last week, where did we find him in our text? Jericho. We were in Jericho. We're basically at the base, at the, at, the, at the bottom of the valley, and it's about, are you ready? It's minus 800 feet and uh, elevation. Uh, and now Jerusalem, I've forgotten now, but if somebody took notes and you have those with you, I don't have mine, but I think it was around 2,700 feet above sea level at Jerusalem. So if you think about it, you're minus 800 and you're 2,700. This is a steep, a steep ascent. Would it be about 18, 17 or 18 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem? Okay? Uh, Bethany being two miles out. The thing that divides Bethany, Bethany cannot see Jerusalem, even though it's two miles away, because the Mount of Olives is literally between them. So you'll kind of crest over the Mount of Olives, and there's Jerusalem or Bethany. Now, there's another word that we found. I think we did in our text. Uh, let me just look quickly. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Yeah, it mentions another little place called Bethphage. It comes into play. That's where I believe that this donkey was tied, was in this little village, almost uh, just across the street almost, if you will, from Bethany. They were, they were called, we know very, very little about Bethphage. In fact, literally just this. Um, so that gives us a sense of our geography. He is now entering, though, the last, I want to say, this is the Passion Week, what we've come to know as his last week uh, living. His ministry is behind him now. Now all of the things he's taught his disciples, literally, they've got it. Now they're watching these last few days unfold, not knowing at all, only he knows what's going to take place. And it's, it's just fine. I find it just so amazing that as they enter, they're getting close to Jerusalem. He has a command. He has something that he says. He says two disciples. We don't know which two. Was it Peter and John? I don't know. They were on other missions. Those two were kind of in the highlight group, so to speak. Um, but he told them, I want you to go to the neighboring village, just across the street, if you will, to find this donkey and the foal. And they're going to be tied there. And when you find them, just go ahead and loosen them. But 
somebody will come to you and tell you, what are you doing? And then you tell them, well, the Lord has need of him. And then they'll let him go. Now think of that. Uh, Paul, do you want to try that tomorrow morning? You just say, you know, Larry, why don't you go to Butte and there's a car with the keys in it over right there on that street, but just, right? How are you doing? And when you get in it, somebody's going to say, what are you doing? Why are you taking this car? And then, Paul, what you do is you say, the Lord has need of it. Oh, well, no problem. Just go ahead. (laughs) That's literally what's taking place here. Isn't that crazy? And the Lord Jesus called this. Now, think of this for a moment. This is called, we know it as the triumphal entry or the coronation of the king. Um, It probably would be more of a mock coronation or a fake coronation. Uh, nothing changes in the people's mind. This is, we'll get into this. This whole thing will start to take shape. But let's, listen to this now. Jesus Christ set this up. He set this up by saying, you guys got to go to the village of Bethphage. You go get the colt of the donkey, and you bring him back. And then we're going to go on. And he didn't even say for what. Now, you remember what he did say. This is what was coming. He said, this is what's really going to happen. Let's go to back, back to Mark chapter 10. This is what's really important. This is what he sets up. Mark chapter 10, and let's uh, look at verses 33 and 34. But we'll just take a step back to verse 32. This is just uh, some days previous. They were in the way, verse 32, Mark chapter 10. They were in the way going up to Jerusalem. We talked about that. It's literally up. It ascends. Jesus went before them. They were amazed. They were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. How would you like to be amazed and afraid? They're trying to figure, why are you going to Jerusalem? Because you're going to be killed. I I mean, all of this stuff is taking place. The Jews hate you. The, the, the uh, Jewish leaders, he took again the 12 and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. So again, private moments. Here we go. 33, 34, saying, Behold, behold is like, pay attention. This is a change. This is going to be very different. We go up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. They shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and they shall scourge him and spit upon him and shall... That's, yeah, that's the K word. Kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And then we find out that, that the two boys, James and John, brought their mother along, and they're trying to be really high up in the kingdom. He was talking about kingdom. And actually, we went back to what they, he had heard uh, a couple of days previous, that, yeah, there is going to be a kingdom coming. And so they tied onto that. Well, they whoof, right over their head. That's what, Jesus is, that's what this week is, is important about. The crowning, the coronation, the triumph, the king, it really has no bearing whatsoever. But So why did Jesus do this? Now, again, this is, uh, this is really important. Who told the disciples to go get the donkey and the colt? Jesus did. Now, the scribes didn't say, you know what? We really are starting to take, take motion here. This guy actually, oh, there was a really big thing that happened in Bethany. Really big thing. This had the, taken the nation by storm. I mean, it's probably even in the newspapers that they didn't have. But by word of mouth, it's traveling. It's going crazy. Dead man resurrected. You know, you could hear that. Did it sound like you could hear it? Reverberated through the country. And something of that nature really happened. Jesus came into town, Bethany. After the fact, there had been a funeral. There had been a burial. Basically, put him in the tomb. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, you need to roll a rock so he can get out. Let him loose. Get, bring him out. And here comes, well, what would have you done? <laughs> you know, because they have, they have uh, a very... Um, what should we say, detailed way of preparing the body for burial in, in, in those times. And so here, Lazarus come forth. How many of them people, of those people, not them people, those people actually <laughs> felt something was going to happen? I'm going to say not very many. In fact, even his sister says, uh, 
uh, Jesus, that was like four days ago. We shouldn't open that up right now. You know, are you getting the message? Guys, don't do He says, roll a stone. Lazarus, come forth, and out comes Lazarus. You know, sort of bound up, if you know what I mean, because he says, loose him. That took place not very long before. Blew their minds. What do you think that would have went? Woof. This dude from Nazareth, he's got like special powers. And then he had just healed some, something that happened just recently in Jericho. Remember? Two really big events. We took the most, probably the most disliked, the most hated man in all of Jericho. And his name was four foot nine and a half, little Zacchaeus, right? And they hated him because he was a tax collector. It was like having these, uh, I mentioned it last week, they go, franchises. He, he actually, the Roman government would sell a franchise, or I don't know if sell is the right word, but he would be presented with a franchise as a tax collector. And so the first cut would go to the Romans. But anything else you could get was yours to keep. And it was kind of like a territory. And guess what? Zacchaeus was over a whole big region. He had other little tax collectors below, little, uh, no pun intended. And, and he was literally just taking from his own citizenry. Do you think he was well-liked? Hated. And Jesus spent the day at his house. Changed man. Wasn't it? Changed man. He said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give back to those that I've taken from four times, and I'm going to stop doing what everything I've done. I'm, I'm going to be what I'm supposed to be. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house today, seeking what was lost. Isn't that cool? And then the other thing was the two blind men, Bartimaeus. You would have to say, okay, I'm going to come to Jericho. We're going to have kind of a little, I mean, I mean, a massive housewarming, and I'm going to be doing some really cool stuff. Well, okay, I'm going to heal Bartimaeus, which is a blind beggar, which no one knew about at all. I'm convinced that literally the name is given to us of a blind beggar for no other reason than the readership of Mark and of the other Gospels would have known Bartimaeus because of what he'd become in the church after this event. There's no other reason. And to think, that's where he came. That's how that happened. See, it's amazing how so few wise, so few noble, there's a verse about that in Corinthians, that literally come from the earth's societal upper echelon. All of these things literally, God, you can tell he refrains from it. And Zacchaeus, with that one, uh, there's, there's one other guy. It's going to be a mystery, but I'm going to come, come, come into Jericho, and there's a guy we're going to completely change his life, and it's going to be amazing. They would have not picked Zacchaeus out of the entire population because he's a scoundrel, he's a jerk, he's, a, he's terrible. And Jesus, by the end of that day in his house, now that would have been funny for Zacchaeus. You know, Jesus walking along, he, not, you know, he went ahead, got to admire this guy, right? He's a thinker. He's too short to see, so he runs ahead, gets up in a tree, and it would have been all leafed out because Passover is in the springtime, and he would have kind of been peeking through these leaves. You know, you can just see that. A sycamore tree would be a, a low-hanging kind of a tree. You know, it wasn't really tall like climbing a pine tree. It would be those long, you know, those branches are out there, and he's just, well, I'm going to watch this whole thing from a good angle. And Jesus is walking, uh, Zacchaeus, you need to come down. I'm going to your house. I bet he fell out of the tree. Those are two events that have just taken place. So you can imagine the swell, the groundswell of people literally surrounding this man known as Jesus of Nazareth. It's a big deal. They want to know more about him. And Jesus now, now again, coronation from who? From where? Most coronations are very well planned out. A lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance. Uh, you know, and it's set up so that there's details and there's stuff and everybody lines up and all of this. Say it again. Jesus... Lined up the taxi. 
He did it. And he told the disciples. Now, he, wouldn't that have been fun if you were one of those two disciples? And <laughs> walking in the, what are we doing? He told us, what? How does he know this stuff? I mean, he's not been there. He doesn't know where this is. You know, that had to mark something in their mind. As they, everything he said did, was going to happen did happen. And the part I imagine was a little tricky. You, you think we should I mean, just, just untie? You know, that's like property, right? It's no different. Somebody steals a horse, that's, right? That's not good things. What do you think? You, you untie him. I don't want to untie him. No, go ahead. He said to untie him. Okay, all right. All right, what are you guys doing? Oh, uh, uh, Jesus said he needs him. Oh, well, good enough. Go for it. What do, we, what do you think that walk was back? Just, and it wasn't a mile. It was a very short distance. Uh, I don't know. Just Jesus. Is, he is the Messiah. He's got to be, right? Just think of the omniscience. And he called this out. He called his own coronation, if you want to call it that. I personally don't think it is. His first coronation would have been heavenly. When did that happen? At the ascension in Acts chapter 1. Whew. Where's he at right now? He's sitting at the right hand of God. The heavenly coronation has taken place. The earthly one hasn't taken place. We'll find that in Revelation chapter 19 and 20. That's when he comes back the second time as king. And he rules and reigns from that point forever. But see, this, is not, this, is not, this is not a God's way of coronation, of taking a kingship. And literally, four days later, we go from Hosanna! That's a word we want to talk about. I'm going to throw that one on the board so I remember to come back to it. Because it's said numerous times in all of the passages, actually, Hosanna. We'll not talk about it right now, but I want to put it here so I don't forget it. So that day on, which I'm here to say, we know it. You may disagree, and that's okay. You can be wrong. No, I don't mean it that way. Um, what do we know about, we, we call it Palm Sunday, correct? I don't think it was Sunday. I think it was Monday. I'll show you why in, in a minute. But the point of the matter is, is they're saying Hosanna. Four days later, they say, crucify him. Crucify him. Now, that's a deep change in popularity. That is a mob. Isn't that something, the mob mentality? And it's amazing, even in our country today, it's, it's the same thing. I mean, people can just be on one side and go, hoo, 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 and on the other side, I mean, it's amazing. It's no different in Jesus' day. The same deal. Wow. But let's go to John and get the fixture. You kind of have the area. Let's take a look at the time frame or the chronology. Let's go to John chapter 12. We'll find our passage there that will unfold this for us. John chapter 12. John 12. And let's take a look because John names the day, if you will, the, the time frame. John chapter 12 and verse 1. It said, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, was which would, had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. That kind of ties a lot of things we just talked about. So six days before the Passover. So the Passover would be on Friday, correct? So let's go backwards. So we got Friday, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, Sunday, I do? Oh, before the Passover. I'm sorry. Got it wrong. I'm going to think, you did that wrong. Something's wrong here. Okay, it's, it's because I did it wrong. I, it's six days before the Passover. So if you do the same thing I just with counting my fingers off, we would be on a Saturday, wouldn't we? This is a Saturday. Now, we also know that it's Saturday night. It's the evening time of Saturday evening. Okay, let's take a look. Let's read another verse or two in John. John chapter 12. Whoops. If you're there, I'm not. I'll be there in a second. John 12. And let's take, keep, keep reading. And then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus 
was which had been dead and whom he raised from the dead. And there he made him, they made him a supper, keyword, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Ah, man, that's great. Another thing happens here. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, that is Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence so that I could rip it off and take it? Oh, I mean, I mean, given to the poor. Oh, that's not in there, is it? But, but that's what he's thinking because this jerk is about four days away from betraying the one that he's walked with for three years. And you know what? He just loved money. He was a money lover is what he was. And this he said, not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put with therein. Jesus said, let her alone against the day of my burying kept she, I'm sorry, against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but you have not always. Now, let's keep going. Again, I, I think of the groundswell of the, of the people following because of this Lazarus who is alive now. Verse 9. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. Now, what night is it? It's Saturday night. This is the evening of Saturday night. They had supper. You don't have supper in the morning. I mean, it's, right? Okay. They knew he was there. And they came. What do you mean they came? They came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might, did you see it? See Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. Well, what day would that be? What day would have they came? Sunday. He's there in the night. They now know that he's there. They want to see Jesus and Lazarus. This is Sunday. They're coming to see him. Let's, take, let's keep reading. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. That's really good stuff, isn't it? All of this time they've been looking for Jesus, the chief priests, looking for some kind of an example, some kind of a miracle, something that could prove that he's Messiah. I would think, if I was going to put on the board... The most important way to prove that the Messiah is here is if he raised somebody from the dead. That would do it. Uh-uh. They want to kill him. Now, I, think, I thought back, uh, was, was it, um, is it Luke chapter 16? Remember the, 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 uh, the, the story that Jesus talked about the rich man and another Lazarus? It's interesting, right? And the rich man goes to Hades upon his death, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, which would have been known as paradise, which now is empty. Because Jesus Christ would have emptied paradise and is now in heaven. Now, Hades is still there. Uh, someone that dies without Jesus Christ goes to Hades. Same place as that rich man. Okay? But at that time, there was, there was a gulf between the two. And could actually, he was able, the rich man, to see Lazarus. Okay? And he's lamenting and cries out for Abraham. Well, the, the, the discourse comes from this, ultimately comes down to this. Too long a story. He said, Father Abraham... If I could go back, in other words, coming back from the dead and tell my brothers, this is not the way you want to play your life. And you remember what, what, what Abraham said? It won't matter if you come back from the dead. They won't believe. That's exactly what's gone on with another man named Lazarus that was raised from the dead, and literally the Jews wanted to kill him. Oh, well, there we have it. You see fickleness of the human population. So we have, as, as actually, uh, Jesus on a Saturday night being there at the home at Bethany with his friends. The next day, Sunday, the group comes out to go see this Jesus and Lazarus, who is now alive. They would have heard of his death. Oh, man, this is crazy, isn't it? So 
the Jews are they're, they're taken back by all of this because by that reason, verse 11 in John chapter 12, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus because of this day, this day when they came to see Lazarus who's alive now and seeing that Jesus that made him alive, they believed. The Jews are incensed. Now, let's take a peek, peek, peek at this now. And I, I don't have a verse right now. It's not coming to me. But um, the Jews had, actually, we could go into John where is that? Yeah, in fact, let's keep going. Let's keep going. I want you to get a picture of the atmosphere of the hatred that they have. So let's go. Um, let's keep rolling. Actually, it, it shows us perfectly. It shows us, to me, it shows me a Monday. Uh, verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees. This is exactly what we're talking about. The day after they came to Bethany, all of this group surrounding Jesus, wanting to see Lazarus, all of that event that took place, the next day, as Jesus goes to Jerusalem, which I believe is a Monday, all of these things take place in the triumphal entry. And I know it's not cool, it's not, it's not to say Palm Monday, but it probably was. And I'll say this, what's the day that everybody knows nothing about in the Passion Week? They say it's a day that it's just gone. It's Wednesday. No one has any recollection of Wednesday. The reason is, is because they don't have the Sunday in the right place. That's my, that's my conjecture. Sunday is when everybody gathered to Bethany to see Lazarus and Jesus, to see this whole thing. And you can tell there's a lot of entourage that's there. On the next day is when he enters in Jerusalem, tells his disciples to go to Bethphage, find the donkey and the colt, and we're going to go into Jerusalem. But I want you to see how much the religious leaders hated this man, and I'm struggling. I don't know if it's in Luke. Let's see. Um, how can, you know, sometimes that seems so clear to you, and then you don't have it. I didn't write it down, of course, because I knew I'd remember it. Wrong. So let's go to, looking at, the, I think maybe it's Luke chapter 19. Just stay where you're at. I'll see if I can find it real quick. Nope. Okay, we're going to have to just, what I was looking for was the fact, and, and if, you, if you think, just think in your thoughts in the background, um, the, this, the religious leaders and the scribes and priests, they had determined, literally, for, especially after Lazarus' resurrection, that was it, that was, that was the last deal. We have to kill this man. We have to get rid of him. This is the whole world will go after him. That's the verse I was kind of looking for. This Jesus, they're all going to go after him. And I see they're in John or Luke, but I can't remember. But there was something that held them back. What was it? We'll have to wait until after the Passover. There's too many people here, and there's, you know, there's just too much stuff going on, right? Well, wait a minute. That doesn't fit God's timetable. No, no, that doesn't fit God's timetable. Because we know that even John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world which is pointing to the fact he's literally our Passover lamb. Okay, here's another thing that ties in Monday versus Friday. You guys know that Friday, the day of the Passover, is the day that Jesus Christ hung as the lamb of God on the cross. Now let's go back to the Passover. We're going to go back to Exodus. Turn that while I'm talking to you. Exodus chapter 12. It's interesting, that Passover lamb which would have been slain, put on the doorpost as they're leaving Egypt. Do you know they had to pick that lamb out the day of what? It was in the month of Nisan. Passover was on the 14th. It was actually celebrated. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. It'll take me just a second to get there. Exodus chapter 12. And let's take a look. Exodus 12. Oops, went the wrong way. This was one of these, this was one of these, uh, I would say, teachings or sessions. You know, I thought I studied quite a bit. Oh, I wanted to study so much more. 
It's so, and that's what's cool about the Bible. It's so enriched. It's so in full. Here we go. Chapter 12, Exodus, chapter one, verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Now, that month is Nisan. It would be to us March, April. Okay? Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, watch now, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. So in other words, this lamb that's going to be called the Passover, they're going to pick it out on the tenth. Keep that in mind. Just write that in your little mind. The tenth of Nisan. Okay? Keep going. All the way, and it says, if the household is too little for a lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make his count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out of the sheep or, out of, or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the what? The 14th day of the month, of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Okay? So now let's do our math. Friday, Passover, Friday's the 14th. Thursday's the 13th, Wednesday's the 12th. Did I do this right? How did I do this? Did it wrong again. How come I can't do math? 14. Friday. Oh, wait a minute. Larry is going to have to get back to you. This was, it fit perfectly, okay. You pick out the lamb on the 10th. And kill on the 14th. So the day of the 10th is what day then? Monday. That's where it's supposed to be. It, why can't I do that in my head right now? So Monday's the 10th. 11th is Tuesday. 12th is Wednesday. Oh, yeah, there it is. Am I that bad? Yes, I am. The point is perfectly made, and I can't, Larry can't get it. <laughs> that Larry didn't get it? That's, that's exactly right. You got that one right. So literally, just as I've, I prepared this whole lesson, it's falling apart in front of me, but the 10th is not Sunday. It's Monday. The 14th is Passover. Jesus was selected as that lamb. Pure, perfect, unblemished on, not Sunday, Monday. cool, isn't it? It's pretty cool. But that's the Mosaic way. That's the Mosaic law. That's how they would have done it. All right. That one totally, I just like lost my mind there for a moment. I thought, I can't, how, this is so simple. And it is. Now, how many people would have been in Jerusalem? A lot, a lot. Now in 40 AD, which would have been, this would be 30 AD, so 10 years later, do you know how many lambs were actually sacrificed at Passover? This is the biggest day. This is the biggest commemoration of the entire, you know, for the year. 260,000 lambs were slaughtered for Passover on 40 AD. Now, it's thought that most, it could be up to like 10 people per household or 10 people sharing in the sense. At that point, that's 2.6 million people. So it's well thought easily that when you do it that way, when you figure it out, that you'd be looking at 2 million visitors in the Passover. Can you imagine the, mouse, the massive amount of crowds that are taking place? Now, I'm going to come back to our story. I gotta get, I'm finally getting back into this now. Okay? It took me a little while of stalling there for a minute. Why would Jesus set this thing up? 
Why would he set this up? Well, let's go, first of all, you'd have to say, well, it fits prophecy. Let's go to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9. Let's find that for a moment. And this, look at this. This is great. Not did Jesus know where the donkey and the colt was, but we'll find in Matthew that it was actually foretold as a prophecy. As Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. That's exactly what happened 500 years after that was related. I also want you to write down Daniel chapter 9. Daniel, even hundreds of years before that even, said something. Let's go there. Ch Daniel chapter 9. Let's go to verses 24 through 27. This is even more interesting. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Starts off in verse 24, chapter 9 of Daniel. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people, upon thy holy city, to finish the transgression and make an end of the sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring into everlasting righteousness, and to seal up the vision of the prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore, and understand that from the coming of the fourth of the commandment to restore and rebuild, to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That's sixty-nine weeks. 69 weeks of years. So 69 times 7, you that are quick with math, would come up with the number 483. Very good. Nicely done. Now, the decree that went out from Artaxerxes was in 445 B.C. That was when the, they were given the decree to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem. If you take 445 B.C., do all the calendar work, and get to 483 years later, you are on this day. This day, Nisan 10, that the king rides into Jerusalem. That is craziness. And guess who called it? God did. God called it exactly. There's not a day wasted. There's not a day early. As these people are coming out and they're having his baby confab, visiting with Lazarus, he is alive. I can't believe it. And you're the guy that reads, this is crazy. And all of these people, this throng of people. And then the next morning, Jesus says, ah, you two guys, I don't know which two, you two guys, go over there to Bethphage, get the donkey and the colt of the donkey, because we're going to need both, because he, he knows. In fact, let's go to this. Matthew, let's go to Matthew's account in chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 makes reference to this so that we understand that it really does fulfill prophecy. Matthew 21, let's take a quick look. Verse 1 of chapter 21, when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem, Matthew 21, 1, and were come to Bethphage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying, Go into the village against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. That's exactly what we just read. Watch, though, this, this we didn't know. All of this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh upon thee meek, and sitting upon an ass, and a colt of the full of an ass. That's Zechariah 9.9. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. This is amazing. But I'm still hasn't answered a question, has it? Hasn't answered a question at all. Why would Jesus do this? Because we know it's just fickleness, right? In fact, did you notice what we read in Mark chapter 11? Now, wait a minute. If this is truly big pomp and circumstance and a coronation and Jesus is king, I mean, if that's really what happened, what would you do at the end of that day? Oh, it would be like feasts and glamour and glory and getting a cabinet and figuring out our strategy to destroy Romans. Well, wouldn't that be the reason you'd want a king? Take the Romans out? Of course that's the reason the people are following him. If he can raise somebody from the dead, he can wipe out the Romans. That's the whole thought process, right? Wouldn't you do the same thing if you were thinking about only this world, this physical side of it? Of course you would. 
And what did Jesus do? Did you see the last verse in Mark chapter 11 that we read? Don't just have to take my word for it. After all of this stuff, he says he went into the temple, looked around, and then he went back to Bethany for the evening. What? <laughs> what kind of a beginning day is that? You mean you're going to go back home to what? See, it's basically just a mock coronation. But it is interesting what he chose to do. Now, all of those gathering, which I'm going to suggest, in that, in that town in Jerusalem and Bethany, Bethphage, there's probably around 2 million people. I can't imagine the thing. In fact, it says they went before him and they went behind him. It was this massive deal. Now, they did it all right because they wanted a king that would do what they wanted to do. I said that just the way I wanted to say it. They wanted a king that would do what they wanted him to do. Isn't that what we elect in our country? I've had so many people, well, yeah, that would be good for me. Right? I'm going to vote for him or her because they would do something for me. It's no different, is it? Do you know what this word means, Hosanna? Now, you see it in all of the passages. Save and now. Save us now. now. We want to be saved now. Right? I'm actually wanting to say Hosanna right now in the United States. Save us now. Oh, spot on. And you know what? This, in fact, write this down. I think I'm right. I feel just like not quite in it today. Are you guys okay with me being not quite in it? <laughs> just drives me crazy. But uh, Psalm 118, verse 26, okay? That is known as a conqueror's psalm. Now, it would have been about 100 years. This is something that may be just some inside information you may not need to know, but it's cool to know. About 100 years earlier, there was a guy by the name of Maccabeus that actually had conquered... Uh, a city that had taken the control away that Syria had over the Jews, okay? And you know what, you know what they said to Maccabeus when he was returning to Jerusalem? Hosanna! <laughs> they quoted that Psalm 118. What do you think they wanted Jesus to do? You better believe it. They wanted a military campaign, and they wanted it now. Hosanna. Now, it's interesting, though. Um, are you in Matthew? Did I leave you there? I'm actually back in Daniel, so stay where you're at because I want to go to Matthew and I want you to see something. Matthew, it's like they knew who he was. It's just that he wasn't the right one that they knew who he was. Matthew chapter 21, verse 9. Oh, one thing we want to, uh, you, you notice now as this entourage is taking place, uh, the disciples bring back from Bethphage, they go to Bethany, um, and then they put their coats on on the, the donkey and the, and the foal, not knowing which one he was going to ride, but obviously he rode the foal because that's what the scripture said. This isn't, you know, right? He just, they put their coats there, and then it said also they strew their garments and their coats in front of him as he's, as he's walking. And, and another thing, would you want to get on an unbroken colt? I'm going to say no. So Jesus was also, in all of these other miracles that he has, he's a horse, a donkey whisperer. He's got it, right? No bucking. No. Just, and what, what's the significance of throwing down these coats in front of him? That was something that would have been far tradition in, in the past. Um, when you uh, are getting a king, the point of the matter, we will do anything for you. We're submissive to you. And literally laying their coat down is a euphemism for saying, you have power over us. That was, that's what they wanted to do. That's what they said. But in their minds, what? Uh, well, as long as you do it, what we want. We can find that four days later as you just shake your head. How could you go from Hosanna, save us, 
because you're capable, to crucify him. That's crazy. That's just a God that you've made up in your mind. Now let's go to, I want you to see that they say Hosanna to whom? Matthew chapter 21 and verse 9. The multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Now that is the most, remember, remember last week, think back. Bartimaeus said something of the same nature. Jesus, son of David. That is the largest title in the sense of grandioseness of Messiah. The son of David, meaning that he would fulfill the throne, sitting on the throne of the, just as the Old Testament predicted and talked about. They are saying, save us now, Messiah, son of David. That's the whole message, the whole message. Now, I want to show you what would a king, now this, is, this, this I find very interesting. Again, coming back to the fact, if this truly was an earthly coronation, what would the one that would be coronated king be on his mind? Let's keep cruising. Let's go in Matthew, and I want you, I think it's Matthew. See, this is where I'm getting messed up. It's too, many, too many gospels, how about that? But there's one here, that I, and I have to find it, because it's just too important to fitting our context. Maybe it's John chapter 12. Take me just a second. This is usually when I have you get up and greet one another, but I'm not going to do that. Um, or maybe it's, I think it's the Luke passage, Luke 19. Here we go. Yeah, it's Luke. Okay, here we go. That's the only one we haven't read so far. Luke, turn to chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. I'm going to spare you of, of reading all of the different aspects again of the, of the, the colt and the donkey. And that. Uh, let's just pick it up. In verse 38, Luke chapter 19, verse 38, saying, now this is what they're saying. Blessed be the king, capital K, that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered, verse 40, and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Because what they're saying is not wrong. Let's make sure we understand this. I think it's a false coronation. It's a mock coronation. It's really nothing to do with anything. And you know what we still haven't answered? Why did he do this? It's Jesus that's done this. Not anyone else. Mark that. He went and got the donkey. Why did he do this? Still not ready to answer it. And they're throwing out their coats. And he said, it's not that I'm not a king. This is God's king. It's not the right time. Isn't that true? That's exactly true. He came not to be a king the first time. He came to seek and save that which was lost, which is literally what he told Zacchaeus, the dirtiest, rotten little scoundrel in the whole city of Jericho. And he says, today salvation's come because your heart's changed. That's what's happening right now. That's under the age of grace. Literally, he's in America, not to save America from physical maladies. He's to save the hearts and the world. Literally, it's an inside job that needs to be done. That's where he's at. Now, what would this king, if this is truly a kingship thing, what would be on his mind as he's crossing over to the Mount of Olives? Let's see it. He says it's exactly for us in, in Luke. Let's continue on. When he was come near, verse 41, he beheld the city. In other words, I've told you enough about Bethany. As he, was, as he was coming with that crowd, and you come over the Mount of Olives, guess what you see? You see the whole city of Jerusalem lay before you. This is where he's at. And he does this. He wept over it. What? What? This is going to be a king, and he's crying? Let's read what he says. If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. The day shall come unto thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. 
and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Is that what a newly crowned king says? He didn't come on that day to be crowned by an earthly mob that wanted to be saved from the Romans. So why did he do it on this day? Yeah, it's in prophecy. I get that. What did we say? That religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, all of those elitists, they hated Jesus more than you can imagine. They wanted him to be gone. But they determined because of the people's passion for this Jesus. I mean, think of it. He's widely accepted for those that trust and see what he is. We can't do it now. We've got to wait. We've got to get the right moment. What would have that done to God's plan? Totally skewed it. By Friday, Jesus knows this too. By that coming Friday, this is a Monday now, and this kingship supposedly is taking place. By Friday, he's got to be dead. How do you do that? Okay, let's take a step back. The Jews would have been maybe not happy about it, but said, we're going to get this guy, and we've got to take him out. But what would happen when you have, I'm going to say a million people, make it several hundred thousand anyway, that all of a sudden today are throwing their coats down, and they're riding in and literally fulfilling Zechariah 9. Those guys knew what Zechariah 9.9 was. They know They knew what was being stated here. And remember Caiaphas? He said, you know, we get... This one man must be sacrificed for the nation. He's going to take us and our positions away. We have to get rid of this guy. This is right during this time frame. But you know what accelerated it? Is the fact they were going to try to make him king. That would bring every last possible level of evil out of them to take that man's life right now. Right now. This week. This day. Jesus set that up. It was God's timing using their evil. That's why... It's amazing. God cannot be thwarted in what's going to happen. Today that we find in the world and all the evil that is so pervasive, God's not out of control. Not at all. Not at all. He's fully, completely just like, I mean, if you're a disciple and you're seeing this unfold, would this not be the day, this Palm Monday, if you will? This is it. We finally got it. And then four days later, just like he said, remember? Mark chapter 10, verses 33, 34. He didn't talk about the kingship. He never did. You will not find that in the New Testament. I'm sorry, in the Gospels. That's not why he came. Yes, he's God's king. Don't, mis, don't misinterpret that. All God's king, all as much royalty and royalty as you can possibly imagine, but not now. Because he came to seek and save that which was lost. And these people didn't even know they're lost. Did you see what he said? He's, he's looking over Jerusalem and he's weeping. You find it in Matthew's account later on. It's actually on Wednesday. That day, which I believe is Wednesday, that day that many see is silent. doesn't matter. It happened. It's in the scripture. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, I would that you would, just as a mother hen would gather her chicks. She would not. You'll never see me again until much later. That's exactly what's going on. Whew. Right? But if you were a disciple, I mean, that, that would have been it, right? This is it. We, we're in. We're in. We are going to be saved. We're gonna... So the first order of business... I mean, can you imagine going to... I, now, the, yes, they went back to Bethany. And they spent the evening again with their friends. But what do you think the disciples are doing that night? Oh, they're jacked up, right? <laughs> I can't wait for tomorrow. Man, we're going to go. We're going to get this done. We're in Jerusalem. Now I see why he wanted to come. I see why... But, you know, they left the stuff out that they didn't want to know about, right? 
like the dead stuff and the scourging and the mocking and the killing and all of that. They left that out. But now I know why he came, because he's king. So what would a king do the evening of the time that you've been coronated? What would Saul or David have done? A lot of celebration, right? Oh, I mean, feasting and revelry and all of that stuff. You know, in a, con- in a context that would be God-honoring, obviously, but at the same time, wow. Let's go back to Mark for a moment. Back to Mark. Chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Now, I'm going I'm to read, I'm going to hold this in context, and I want you to just, just you, you need to be into the crowd. You need to be watching. You're part of this, I'm going to say, two million people following Jesus, right? And they that went before, verse 9, chapter 11 of Mark, went before and they cried, cried, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, save us now in the highest. We want to be saved, saved, saved. Okay, that's a pretty high point, isn't it? Verse 11. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and, 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 and what? And into the temple. And when he had looked around upon things, oh, and it was evening, he went on to Bethany with the 12. Is that like a little bit of a lackluster ending? Would you do that on your first day of kingship? absolutely is and there's no question it's going to happen it's absolutely going to happen now this is what's really important this to me tells us exactly what we need to know now we've uncovered the again whether you believe in the i've no everything that's in the scripture is what is unfolding i happen to see that wednesday's not silent it's if we get sunday in the right place okay because it just flows through it just works for me so i'm going to for the sake of me i'm going to call it a palm monday Okay. And so at the end of Monday, he's home with his friends in Bethany. And what he's done, the last event of that day, really tells us where his heart's at. He looks in the temple. He looks at God's place of supposed worship. Now, everyone else on that planet, and I'm saying planet, that land, that nation, everyone the next morning we're expecting, I mean, Action. I mean action. We're going to take some serious saving us now from the Romans. We're going to get after it. And I can see Jesus. Now, how many arms and weapons were in this insurrection? I'd have to call it that because that's what it's viewed. That's how the religious leaders saw it. I mean, this is an insurrection. And they were actually, believe this or not, they were against it because they would have lost their place and position. But the ideas, the ideologies that are taking place... These, well, again, those followers, you know what they knew about Jesus? He doesn't need no weapons. This guy can bring somebody from the dead and make him alive. He can get it done. What's he going to do tomorrow morning? All of these thoughts have been going on. You know what he does the next morning? We'll be looking at it next week, but let's just read. Let's keep reading. This is the number one most important thing for a king to do the following day after being coronated, crowned, is what he does in verse 12 of Mark chapter 11. And on the morrow, tomorrow morning... 
when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And I'm going to leave this passage out. This talks about he walks up to a fig tree and literally curses it and it withers. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But let's keep going. That's on the walk in. Where am I at? Keep going, keep going. Oh, verse 15, there we go. And they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple. Oh, he's back in the temple. And he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer or allow that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying, Is, this, is it not written that my house should be called of all nations the house of prayer? But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. That's what happened the day after he was crowned king. He went in and made trouble in the temple. He went in and cleaned that place out. Now, if you actually do your math or, or do your chronology, if you go back to John chapter 2, you can write it down in your notes. Literally at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he went into Jerusalem and cleaned the temple three years previously. They didn't get it. Three years later, it's worse than it's ever been. Now, that's the way to turn a crowd from saying, Hosanna to the son of David, to just a couple more days saying, crucify him. That's how you get it done. You mean he's not even going to talk about the Romans? You mean he's not going to do anything to the Romans? You mean we're not going to do anything? He's going to do what's really important. We're going to work on saving, but we're going to go to the inside of where the problem is. It's like America right now. America needs to find what's really important. And casting down Roe v. Wade, which should have never happened in 1973, all of those babies that were, quote-unquote, had no constitutional rights that were killed, that should have never happened. But it's not the end of it, the fact that the court had enough guts, finally, finally, to cast it down. It's not going to stop there. It's not going to stop because we still have a heart problem. Our Constitution is about life. It's about protection of life. And we've so messed that up, it's not something that's a physicality problem. It's a heart problem. It's just like it's not a gun problem, it's a heart problem. You see, these things seem so evident to those that are literally following after God. But in Romans chapter 1, it's never been clearer to me now than the fact that God has given them over to a reprobate mind. Well, what we know about a reprobate mind is it cannot think clearly. That's the only, I, it cannot think clearly. Is that not true? When we can't determine the difference between the value of life in the womb and the sense of what protection that our writers of the Constitution gave to us through the Bill of Rights, that was unanimous. We need to search our hearts and our souls. That's why Jesus came. He said that all of this is hidden from you. When God visited you through me, you missed it. Why would I want to be king of something that there's nothing here yet? I must come and seek and save that which was lost. Palm Sunday or Monday, whichever you prefer, really has nothing to do in any way of coronation. It has to do with the fact Jesus bringing his death forward to the, exactly the right time so that Scripture could be the prophecy could be fulfilled in the sense of he became our Passover lamb. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon when he said it is finished, it truly was finished. It was taken off. It's over. It's done. Death has been conquered. Sin is over. It's been conquered. The power is gone. Well, the power is still something we every day go through the sense of sanctification, but the penalty of sin was paid for. That ransom was paid for. There was nothing left. 
to buy or sell. Jesus accomplished all of it. And to think, I don't know if you look at it a little bit differently. Sometimes we see the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday as being this, this grandiose event. And he, yes, he's no less king. He's no less royal. He's no less awesome. He's no less the son of God. He's no less the son of David. But that was a, that was a mock. There was nothing there. It just showed again the fickleness of people's hearts. That's what it showed. And Jesus set it up. He got the donkey. He brought that donkey. And then as he goes over the city, he weeps over it. Now, there's a message for us as well. When Jesus becomes king of your life, truly the Lord of your life, you've accepted him. You've trusted him. You say that he truly is. I'm giving everything to him. You know the first place he starts? It's not your checkbook. It's not your car. It's not your salary. It's probably not even your wife or your husband. It's you. You know where he starts? He goes to that room of which you usually only have the lock, the stuff you have stored away. It's deep, deep inside. There's a couple rooms, probably you don't even like to go in, but they're there. You know what he wants to do? He wants those keys to those rooms and goes in and he wants to clean that temple. That's where he wants to go. Because, you know, that's really where it's all about. He knows that that's what drives you. He knows literally that that's what destines of what's your steps that you're taking. That's literally the message that he gave to those people. All of Roman was just this hovering, it just hovering over them, right? They felt powerless. The day after this coronation, he goes into the temple and cleans it cleans it because that's where it had to start. Remember what he said? He said, is it not written it is to be the house of prayer? Isn't that exactly what we need more in this country? Even us as individuals? The more I pray, the better it is. And yeah, you get, there's tough weeks, there's tough days. I had a do, this week was a doozy. But the long and short of it is, God's still in charge. He's still in control. And he's still working on my heart, right? In fact, it's scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul is writing to a group of people. They would be known as carnal Christians, the Corinthians, and they lived in a horrible plot. If you think, if you think that we're debased and immoral in the United States of America or anywhere. Uh, no, you, you didn't get it. I mean, this place is filled with idols. And every place that you had idols, you had prostitutes within the temple. And you had, I mean, it's, it, was, it was an engaged enragement of immorality to the highest level. And the church has certainly been tainted by that, this church in Corinth. That's who he's talking to, okay? And, and then there's messages there, but I, I, to me, the, correla the correlation to the sense of how Jesus, after being crowned king... They really gave him what, and he, this is to prove again, how little they did give him. If they were behind Jesus, when he came into the temple and he cleared it, wouldn't it, shouldn't it have been just like Zacchaeus, who all of a sudden his life is different? I don't believe he was a tax collector that day after. In fact, he gave away half his wealth to the poor, he said, and the other is going to pay back fourfold. That was an unrich man after that day. I don't believe he was any more of a franchise of the collection services for, for the Roman government. Well, wouldn't this been something that would have changed the lifestyle of, of Israel? Exactly. Exactly. When someone wants to come to Christ because they want to be rich and famous and they're going to get all the good stuff, the prosperity gospel, whatever you want to call it, that's not, that's not King Jesus. 
That's using Jesus. Very true, isn't it? He's wanting to do the same thing with us. And by the way, it goes on, and, and some days, if he, if he really leveled on Larry Melhoff, all of the things that I need to get cleaned up or should have cleaned up, and I, I can't do anything about it. It's his work. It would be depressing. But you know what? It's just one at a time. Larry, how about that? How about that? What do you, oh, yeah, that. Hmm. I've asked you about that a couple of times. What are you going to do about that? And you know, I'm, you can plug your name into it. It's the same for all of us. Even Paul, I mean, Romans chapter 7. I mean, that helps me some days, Romans chapter 7. Here's Paul, a great apostle, the guy that just is amazing. And he says, you know what? I do the stuff I don't want to do, and I can't do the stuff I want to do. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. I find myself every day just struggling with some of those battles. You, ah, I should be past that. But that's the way it is. And you keep working at it. And it's God's strength through God's strength in you that allows that to happen. So let's take a look now as he's talking to the Corinthians of his, his description of, of themselves. Now, first of all, in verse 17, he says, But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Ooh, the Lord is within you. And then verse 18, two words, powerful, flee fornication, run away from it. Every sin that a man doeth is outside, without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Verse 19. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. As Jesus would have entered that temple in Jerusalem on that next day after being crowned king, supposedly, they should have been excited to know that we're going to get this right. We're going to clean this place up. This is going to be God's house. This is going to be a place of prayer. This is no longer going to be a place of economic advantages for those that are in charge. We're going to get this right. We need to start at home. We need to get it right in our own lives. What do they do? Oof, the hatred meter went to the right. Turn the dial up. And the, and the rage was on. Actually, that moment right there was the thing that cast Friday, that day of the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. Mon a Tuesday was that day. The ire of the religious people. Who are you? We could go to other passages and find, who, by what authority are you doing this? He never did actually answer the question. He said, where did John the Baptist come from? And what was John's message? Repent, turn around, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the Messiah is coming, basically. <clears throat> what did they do? They just threw him off. They wouldn't even answer the question. Because if they, said, if they would have said they came from God, well, they hadn't followed him, right? Or if they said of the people, then the people would have gone crazy because they saw John as a prophet. So Jesus said, I'm not going to answer you either. This is so, I mean, do you see the needle, the laserness of this whole thing? In our hearts, exactly the same. When we trust Christ to be our Savior, we need to expect changes to take place. Not, not of our own. Don't try to clean yourself up. You waste your time. It will be a complete waste of your time. In fact, you'll be frustrated. That'll be a dilemma you just finally just give up. No, it's not about you. It's the fact of yielding to Christ. He does the work. Guess who cleansed the temple? Jesus did. He didn't tell the disciples to do it. Oh, guys, why don't you take that corner? Ooh, there's a lot of stuff. John, over there. Peter, oh, right, right there. Uh, James, over here. No. Jesus cleaned the temple. He cleared it. Made it a house of prayer. It looks like it took a time, too. Didn't it take some time? Because he's walking in. He curses a fig tree. Right? We'll talk about that next week. And then he goes in the temple. And guess what? When he's done, it's what? It's evening. It took him all day to clean this thing out. And I'm unfortunate. I have to share with you. It's taken him a whole lot more than a day to work on my heart. But he's working. 
He's faithful. In fact, let's finish with this. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. There's always something. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Philippians 1, 6. Paul writing from prison to the, to the Philippians. He opens up his session and shortly with in the first chapter, first chapter, verse 6 says this, being confident of this very thing. You can trust in this, that he... God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ comes back to be the king of all, to be the king. Now, his coronation on earth, we didn't really talk too much about that. When he comes on a, he's not going to come on a dawn. Oh, it's interesting. Let's talk about his birth for a moment, Jesus' birth. That was kind of pomp and circumstance as well, wasn't it? Not so much. How did, how did he get to Bethlehem, Jesus? Well, in a, he was in you know, Mary's womb, right? Now, if there was ever, I, I don't just popped in my head, if there was ever someone that would have wanted to make life easy and have rights, reproductive rights, it would have been this poor young girl called Mary. That's probably 15, 16. Convenience from the family. Make her life easier going forward. To have had the opportunity to abort the Son of God. Think of that. Not very long. <laughs> but how did he come? She's heavy with child, and she's riding a donkey. <laughs> you think of that, that humbleness, the humbleness. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. He didn't come with any reason of being the king other than wanted to come. How does one come to Jesus Christ? I'm going to say, in a, in a world, riding on a donkey, in humility. You come to him in humility, allowing him to do the work. That's my Jesus. That's the one I want to worship. That's the one I want to honor. And you know what? This is going to happen. This is going to happen. But he's, you know what? Revelation talks about it. He's not going to come on a donkey. He's not going to come on the, on the colt or the foal of the donkey. He's going to come on a white horse. And he's going to come, and they're going to know it's over. It's done with. That's what Revelation 19 and 20 are about. He will come as king, and that will be the time he will be crowned on the earth, never to be removed. That's the real coronation. He will first rule and reign through the millennium for a thousand years. He will act as the, theoc the it'll be a, theoc a theocracy, if that's a better way to put it. Um, and he's at the rule. There's, there's no questions about it. There's no questions. And if you can imagine again, if you can imagine the fickleness at the very end of a thousand years where Satan is bound, there's no demon influence. There's no, none of that stuff. All of the excuses that we can have. And it's all gone. And then for just a very short time, it says that Satan is released from, the, from that deep pit. And he goes out and it says, as the sand of the sea, humanity follows after it. Ah! <laughs> but one of the things that, one thing that we do have to take out, and that is, would we be any different? And there's those that would have a case. We would be different if we didn't have sin. If it wasn't for Adam and Eve, those are the jerks. Those are the losers. They ate with the apple. I actually think the Apple computer's related to that thing, that apple. <laughs> Who would use an icon of a bite out of an apple, right? That bothers me. Anyway, let's keep going. So, so as you go through it, as you get, to the, as you get through that, and, you know, it's, it's my environment. It's where I was raised. It was where I was born. It was because of my family. It's because of this. That's why I'm, I'm just this way. How could you live for a 1,000 years where Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about is in present. He is in charge. Everything that happens is good and pure and wonderful. 
In fact, the wolves and the lions will play together. I'm sorry, the wolves, they, they probably, well, they will too. Actually, everything will play together, shall we say. But at the end, you turn Satan loose, making decisions. Those, again, not the ones that entered into the millennium, but those that would have been born into the millennium. There's going to be physical births in the millennium. Those that haven't literally trusted Christ they're, they're, they're within the millennium. They didn't come into it. Make, make sure you understand that. Those, those people have to make a choice. And when Satan is released, many of them, it, it's, it's innumerable almost, they'll follow after him and that's it. That's the end. It just, it's over before it began. That's the end. But you know what? The one last thing that's gone away is the environment. If I would have been born somewhere else, if I would have been of a different mother, a different father, if, if I would have had a right opportunity, if I wouldn't have been on the wrong side of the tracks, if it wouldn't have been for this, if it wouldn't have been for that, it wouldn't have been for Adam and Eve, it would all be, no, no. Be born in a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ and still willing to chase off after Satan. And that's why Jesus came the first time. That's why he came the first time. Not to conquer the Romans. It was to conquer an even more deadly enemy, and that's the human heart. He did it for you, and he did it for me. I don't know if any of this helped you today, but it's amazing how all of this thing just dovetails together, and it makes God in control, even of what we would see as a disastrous week from a disciple's perspective. Where we're going at in our world today, not just America, I mean the world, it looks disastrous, but I want to I want, absolutely believe this. God is no less in control than he was on the week that Jesus Christ died for my sin. He's on the throne. He's in charge. We just need to figure out what we need to be doing. Now, it took the disciples a bit, didn't it? At the, at the Last Supper in communion, which is going to happen in the next few days in our Blash Passion Week, they're still fighting about who's going to be better than the other one. But after the fact, after Jesus rose from the dead, after he was ascended into heaven, it was like the lights went on. That's what he meant. That's what that meant. Have you had those aha moments, even in your Christian walk? That's what that meant. That's from God. That's the Holy Spirit leading you. Let's praise him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for taking the opportunity, and not only the opportunity, the forthrightness, powerful agapao love to save us out of a an unsavable situation there was nothing we could do and then jesus to orchestrate literally orchestrate his death that's if we take a step back and we look that literally jesus ordered his death by having those two disciples to go get that donkey and for him to ride on it he set it up perfectly of the evil coming to a heightened level of frenzy and by the end of that week, this one they had crowned king, the one that they said, Hosanna, the one that would save them from the Romans, they chose to crucify him. They chose to be having him replaced with a man called Barabbas, who was a known insurrectionist and a murderer. They would rather have him alive than the one that came to save their lives. Father, May your truth pervade. May it go out into a world that's gone mad. Father, we do want to thank you for working in hearts and lives through this week and in weeks previous in difficult circumstances to make right decisions. Truth in a world that's flipped upside down not only is hard to find, 
but it seems like it's hard to, re to enact. But Father, truth is no less alive. You are no less in power than you've ever been. Thank you for allowing us to see you more clearly, even today through the word. May the Holy Spirit guide and direct us, and Father, may you continue to work on our temples, which has been bought for, has been bought and paid for. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name.